It's Twin Bills, the Red Sox podcast from the sports department of the Providence Journal, featuring Red Sox beat writer Bill Koch, along with sports editor Bill Corey. Now, Twin Bills. Hello and welcome to this week's Twin Bills, the Red Sox podcast. This is Bill Corey, sports editor at the Journal. With me is sports writer Bill Koch. Bill, it's feeling more and more like summer out there. The fact that uh, almost half of this country is vaccinated means that there are a lot fewer masks and restrictions out there, and uh, it's kind of uh, it's kind of uh, heartening to see us back to back to normal. Um, and this is a little off topic from the Red Sox, but uh, you saw some normalcy up close when you visited Old Mountain Field down in Wakefield uh, uh, last weekend. Uh, that must have been a nice, uh, nice, a nice take. Yeah, checked out the Ocean State Waves against the Newport Gulls. Uh, they're part of the New England Collegiate Baseball League. Uh, it's one of the best college wood bat leagues in the nation. Um, you'd say it might be half a step down from the Cape Cod League, mm-hmm. uh, but certainly worthwhile prospects there uh guys who will eventually be pros uh you know i could name a couple waves offhand mike gerber who's an outfielder with the tigers who made it to the big leagues uh, richard lovelady who's a pitcher with the royals made it to the big leagues and, and obviously the gulls are, are one of the cornerstone franchises in that league um what college kid wouldn't want to live in newport for a summer yeah and play at gorgeous cardines field uh, you know so they've they've had a host of uh you know current future professionals there um you know and, and the basic premise of my story was who will be atop the state's summer baseball pyramid now that the Paw Sox have moved to Worcester. Yeah, right. The uh, The throne has been vacated, so to speak, right? Uh, Red Sox uh, farm team obviously now plays up the road in Worcester, and so we don't have the benefit of going to watch the Paw Sox on summer nights. So, yeah, you wonder if uh, hardcore baseball fans are going to be uh, migrating to either Cardines or Old Mountain Field and catch some uh, some pretty good baseball. You know, the good thing about it is, is obviously, um, you know, much like the Paw Sox uh, aim to do for so many years, it is family-friendly. Yeah, it is cost effective. Um, you know, if you're a family of four or five or, or more, uh, you're not going to spend the rent money on tickets. Um, you know, you're not going to spend the mortgage on parking and, and concessions. Right. Um, and you are going to see a pretty good, pretty good product. Uh, you know, you got four Rhode Islanders on the Waves roster. Uh, you know, four guys who've played URI as well. Uh, you look at the Gulls roster, and it's Power Five players, uh, you know, from national powers all over the place. They've they've always had that sort of national recruitment, um, you know. So you are seeing guys who are among the best in their college teams and playing for some of the best college teams. You know, I've wondered, Bill, uh, when when Major League Baseball kind of divested itself of a lot of its minor league uh, uh, teams or affili- affiliates, uh, what effect that would have on some of these kind of leagues. Uh, you know, are there going to be is there going to be more talent moving to uh, Cape Cod and and on the NECBL? I don't know. Maybe too soon to tell, but uh, it's certainly a good take if you're a baseball fan, or if you just want something to do on a summer night. You know, that's a little different than watching TV. And and we're talking about beautiful places in our state. Uh, you mm-hmm. mentioned Cardine's Field. It, it's right, you know, downtown there on the Strip in Newport. Yeah, and I, and I hear Newport's got a few things to do in the summer. A few too. things <laughs> to do. Yep. Uh, yeah. I, I would imagine as a Fall River native, you might have slipped I, over I've, the border uh, a couple times. Yeah, I've uh, spent more than uh, a few nights in Newport uh, growing up, and and I still live pretty. close close to Newport so uh, especially in the summer I like to shoot down there it's uh, 
it's uh, it's always a fun time. You know, and then uh, with the Waves obviously playing right in the middle of, of Wakefield, uh, you know, you've got no shortage of bars and restaurants, you know, just down the road. And as a U, as a former URI student, I certainly spent enough time <laughs> driving by Old Mountain Field and every now and then would stop and take in either high school game or whatever else was going on. You know, I, I think the best thing about the Waves is, you know, if you go to the beach, let's say, if you go to Narragansett or Scarborough or, you know, Charlestown or somewhere like that. Right. Um, anyone who has done that is familiar with that line of traffic on Route 1 <laughs> right. trying to drive back, you know, pretty much from 3 o'clock until about 7 or 8. Um, and I think part of the marketing pitch for the Waves is just stop by Old Mountain. Kill an hour here. Yeah. You know, don't sit in traffic. Stop here. Grab a hot dog. Watch the first four or five innings of the game and then hit the road. Yeah. Go you know, find the kids Adels, will be asleep. You know? They'll yeah. be asleep in the car by the time you get home. Right. Um, you know, and it's going to be general peace and harmony. You you can let them run around a little bit for that last hour and, uh, you know, get to see a, a decent product while you're at it. Well, Bill, let's turn our attention to the uh, big leagues here. Uh, and it's not very often when we get to do a podcast on the heels of breaking news, but I guess this qualifies today. Uh, about an hour or so ago, uh, MLB uh, announced its new guidance on pitchers who are caught with uh, too much foreign substance on the baseball uh, and handed down and will be handing down some penalties. So why don't you take us through this kind of fresh news uh, that's um, uh, sort of taking the baseball world by storm these last few uh, these last few weeks. Yeah, yeah we, we spoke about it a little bit on the podcast last time, uh, and, and now you know we've sort of ramped up in earnest here, Major League Baseball, uh, making an announcement on Tuesday uh, that players who are caught using foreign substances on the balls will be ejected from games and suspended with pay for 10 games. Um, you know, and this is sort of, you know, maybe a, a, a stricter um, alternative to punishments that are already on the books. Yeah, I mean, you couldn't do this before if they were caught, but obviously this is much more under the microscope these days. This is, uh, you know, this is in response to, to record low offense in the game, uh, record high strikeouts in the game. Um, you know, certainly position players speaking out, you know, mm. saying this is really hard. Yep. Pitchers are clearly doing something that they've never done before, or they're taking it to levels they've never taken it to before. Um, you know, because it's impossible to hit these guys right now. Uh, I've seen and heard from some position players earlier today. Um, you know that they have no problem with some of the maybe traditional cheating that pitchers had done, whether it was using a little bit of pine tar, a little bit of sunscreen mixed with rosin. Uh, just try and get a little better grip on the ball. Because generally that keeps it in the strike zone and it gives hitters a sense of security. Mm. What they're not okay with is when pitchers take it to the next level and start using things like spider tack, um, you know, and boiled off soft drink syrup and hairspray, um, you know, making these concoctions, these amateur chemists in the clubhouse <laughs> who will send them a batch of the sticky stuff, um, you know, and all of a sudden it adds 300 RPM to your four-seam your four your four fastball, right. if I could speak. Right. Um, you know, it makes your curveball a little nastier, your slider a little nastier, um, and essentially makes you unhittable. Well, that's part of the potential uh, punishments now, right? It's not just players who could face some kind of discipline. It's other, other people involved in the game 
clubhouse attendants or anybody else who who has a role. Yeah, there was a, a really good story earlier this week on SportsIllustrated.com, SI.com, by Stephanie Epstein. She was one of the co-authors there, really, really sharp writer. Uh, caught up with a former clubhouse attendant from the Angels uh, who had made batches of, of sticky stuff for pitchers over the years. You know, guys you would know, like Adam Wainwright and Garrett Cole. Hmm. Um, you know, someone like that gentleman could be subject to being placed on the restricted list and would have to apply for reinstatement to Major League Baseball. Hmm. Um, you know, so they're they're going to they're going to crack down a little bit additionally on the players, but as always, they're going to visit the stiffest penalties on the support staff, the non-superstars, the people behind the scenes who who might aid and abet this a little bit. Um, you know, because as you know, Bill Corey, baseball is a big business. The players are the stars. The players are the draw. They're the economic driver. You're not going to suspend Garrett Cole for a full season because he's using spider tack. You're going to suspend the clubhouse attendant who procured him the spider tack. <laughs> right. right. Nobody's paying to go watch the spider, the, uh, the, uh, the clubhouse attendant who makes the spider tack, right? Uh, so, Bill, with, these, with this increased focus on uh, foreign substance use uh, by pitchers uh, and... Uh, you know, I think every team sort of comes under the uh, comes under the microscope. But certainly the Red Sox, as of late, uh, they started out doing really well uh, pitching wise, and as of late, uh, you know, maybe not so much. Uh, so is it a coincidence? Is it part of the uh, grand scheme of we caught you and now you can't use as much foreign stuff on your on the uh, on the balls? Uh, it's it's uh, it comes at a bad time if you're a Red Sox uh, pitcher. And there's this increased focus, and you know, all of a sudden, you're, you're, uh, you kind of lose it a little bit on the mound. It makes it very easy to push the narrative that the Red Sox were cheating. Uh, yeah. It makes it very easy to say, uh, circumstantially, that the Red Sox were cheating. Um, unfortunately, it's very easy to get carried away with something like that. Uh, you know, especially in a market like Boston, where. There is a huge amount of interest. There, there's a huge amount of uh, of uh, market share to gain if if you're able to to get some ratings and, and some clicks based on something like this. Uh, you know, I did a little bit of my own deep dive, and, and I <coughs> would did. say that yeah. uh, you know the Red Sox just picked the wrong time to regress to the mean. Um, you know, I would mm-hmm. say if if you look at these guys, these five starters on paper at the start of the season, what did we think about them? Well, that. Uh they weren't going to be that good. <laughs> that you know, if they were lucky, they would be pitching somewhere around 500, and the team would, you know, somehow figure out how how to get to 500. And they eclipsed our expectations and most people's expectations through the first two months, anyway. And so all of a sudden, now you run into Houston and you run into Toronto, two two teams that can hit the you know what out of the ball, the two best offenses right. in baseball, uh, and they were the best offenses in baseball before they faced Boston. They they didn't rise to those top <laughs> two spots. Right. Uh, based on these recent games against the Red Sox, uh, they they were already there. Um, you know, you marry that with the fact that uh, the weather is a little better; it's a little warmer. Um, you know, the Red Sox uh, are in a spot pitching wise where they have 17 games in as many days, and, and they're starting to get hit around a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and it sort of snowballs a little bit. Uh, you know, but if you look a little deeper, whether it's at guys' career ERAs compared to this year. Uh, whether it's their career spin rates on their four-seam fastballs. Um, I didn't find anything glaring where I would look and say, wow, 
this pitcher was clearly cheating. There was no Brady Anderson moment, right? Right, <laughs> right. No sort of outlier where you looked yeah. and said, wait a minute, yeah. you know, what's going on here? Uh, if, if you look back and you think back to just a month ago, Boston's ERA in April was 3.59 as a staff. Yeah. In May, it was 4.46. So it was already starting to go in the wrong direction. Right, right. Now you hit June, you have elite opponents in warmer weather at Fenway Park with a pitching staff that suddenly starts to struggle a little bit, loses a little bit of confidence, that's how you end up at 5.28 entering Monday night when mm-hmm. Nathan Navaldi goes out there and, and pitches well against Toronto. They, they must have let Navaldi cheat last night. They must have let him cheat. <laughs> Clearly, that's what because it was. Either that or the Blue Jays completely forgot how to hit. Completely forgot how to hit. They were just too tired right. from uh, Sunday running around the bases and, yeah. and hitting balls eight miles. Yeah. Um, you know, but how do you disprove a negative? Yeah, you it's, can't it, do it. It's hard, and and you know, I think that uh, it, it's very easy to point to any particular game or home stand and say, "Aha, you know, this this last these last few games prove whatever it is that they've been cheating." But you know, I, I think that you can you can sort of point to any small sample size and make an argument if you want, one way or the other. I think time will tell over the course of the season. You're right; they started out with a really low ERA. Uh, as a staff, and it has increasingly gotten uh, gotten higher and worse. And you're also right that they happen to be playing the two hottest offenses, the two best offenses in the league these last two uh, these last two uh, series. So we'll see moving forward as it kind of evens out, and they're playing a more of a mix. Um, uh, you know whether there's gonna there's gonna be a huge difference in team ERA. But uh, whenever something like this is in the news, obviously everyone's awareness is heightened. The, the late Dennis Green said it, and, and it's turned into you know an internet sensation and, and has for the last 15 years. They are who we thought they were, <laughs> and we let them off the hook. Uh, right. You know, I think he was coaching the Cardinals at the time, and, and they yeah. lost a Monday night game to the Bears, Yeah, I want to say. Um, was it the Cardinals or was it? No, I, think I was going to say, was, was it with the Vikings or the Cardinals? But yeah, whatever. But yeah. you, look at, you look at the Red Sox, the five starters over the course of their careers. Uh, Eduardo Rodriguez and Garrett Richards both have worse ERAs this year yep. than their career ERAs. Rodriguez by two full runs, 603 to 403. Yeah, and he's been kind of on a downward trajectory for a little while now. I mean, it's been five or six starts where he just hasn't looked at like the E-Rod, the E-Rod that we we remember from a couple of seasons ago or even from his, you know, first few starts where he looked, you know, pretty good. Not great, but pretty good. So if he's cheating, he's doing a real terrible job of it. <laughs> uh, I mean, really poor. Yeah. Um, they need to get a better cheating coach. Much better cheating coach. Uh, you know, much better cheating substances for, for him. Right. Just not working. Uh, Nathan Evaldi going into his start on Monday had a 4.11 ERA. His career is 4.27. Martin right. Perez has a 4.52 ERA. Career, he's 4.71. Okay. Yeah, so Neither one of those are huge improvements. No, no. They're all sort of pitching to their baseball cards, so to speak. You know, and the only other guy in the rotation who you look at, Nick Pavetta is at 4.28. Yeah. Career, he's 5.40. Right. So you would say, aha. He's the guy. There he is. <laughs> he's the cheater. But, he, but, he, but he's been pretty consistent for the Red Sox. And if you look at Pavetta's spin rates yeah. on his four-seam fastball, um, his first start this year, he was 23-31 average. Okay. His most recent start, after the MLB crackdown was threatened and whatever else, he was 23-28. Wow, he came down three three revolutions per minute. Three RPM. <laughs> His final start of 2020, before any of this discussion started, yeah. he was 
Well, clearly he was cheating back then too, but people just weren't paying attention. It was obviously then. He, <laughs> he was clearly cheating then as well. Yeah. So if you're looking at their five starters and you break down their numbers specifically yeah. and you go to the hot spots where you would find something nefarious, mm-hmm. there's nothing there. What it's been simply <clears throat> is poor performance. You know, I, I think that it's it's naive to say that there are no pitchers on the Red Sox who probably push who, who don't push the uh, boundaries a little bit. Uh, but I don't know that they're doing it any more or any less than they have been or or uh, other pitchers are across the league. So I think this certainly is something that bears watching over the next uh, weeks and months. But uh, I'm sort of with you. I, I don't I don't see the smoking gun there <laughs> anywhere yet. Uh, I, but I do think that obviously, when the league average is somewhere around 230 or whatever it was, uh, and it's been uh, hasn't been this low in 50 something years, then you know, uh, Major League Baseball understands that most people want to see the they want to see the big fly, right? They want to see offenses do well. They want to see what the what the uh, Toronto Blue Jays done, did to the Red Sox in the first three games of the series. Yeah. And so I think uh, you know when uh, there's an opportunity to maybe step in and make it harder for pitchers and easier for batters, I think MLB is always going to kind of sort of side on that, uh, you know, on that part of the fence. The other difficult part here for the Red Sox, and I wrote this last week for the Journal, is the fact that the Red Sox, from a cultural perspective, recently. Uh, have no str- they have no solid ground to stand yeah, on. Yeah, right. They're, they're the last team in the league that you can, well, them and maybe one or two others that can start uh, complaining about cheating, right? They were cheating in 2017 with the Apple Watch, the electronic sign stealing. Right. Uh, they were found cheating in 2018 uh, to a lesser level, but stealing signs from the video room and relaying those to the dugout. Um, you know, and, and then obviously you rehire Alex Cora who, you know, MLB paints as, as the mastermind of the Astros cheating scandal in 2017. You rehire him the first chance you get after his suspension is over. Um, so any sort of sanctimony surrounding Boston, nobody else is going to want to hear it. There's going to be widespread eye rolling right. around the league and, and even in their own market. Uh, you're going to look and say, sure, you know, the Red Sox want this cleaned up and they want to play clean and, and by the rules and whatever else. You know, but they've been the first team in the last four or five years to play fast and loose with the rules. Um, you know, they don't really have any moral high ground here to stand on. And, and my general premise was, I think it's a shame that the Red Sox, as, as one of the marquee franchises in the sport, doesn't necessarily have the platform to come out and lead right. on this issue. Um, you know, and I look down the road at the Patriots and what happened when the, with the NFL labor situation in 2011, when it looked like the owners and the players were going to lose a season. Who steps forward? Robert Kraft. Now, this is before Robert Kraft's personal transgressions in Palm Beach. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, this is before, um, you know, he might have lost a little bit of that cachet, a little bit of that leverage. With right, his... but it was still after Spygate and Deflategate. Well, certainly well, Spygate. It's certainly Spygate. Maybe That's not Deflategate. I forget Deflategate, maybe. Yeah, I think it was after Deflategate. But, but still, they certainly, he, at least he had the cachet to kind of, we all remember that shot with him and Jeff Saturday, yes. hugging or whatever, and, you know, for the good of the game kind of thing. It's hard to imagine uh, John Henry out there being magnanimous for the good of the game, especially now that he's spending millions of dollars to settle the whole Super League fiasco over over Europe. Oh. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Fenway Sports Group been a tough time for them. Yeah, yeah. So John Henry not hugging Tony Clark anytime soon. You don't you don't see that. 
Not going to happen. No, probably not. You know, Kraft, you make an interesting point. I I think a lot of people visited the Patriots' misdeeds on Belichick uh, much more so than Kraft. I I think they sort of. That's probably true. They sort of look at Kraft as like this Mr. Magoo figure. Yeah, he was sort of the detached, innocent bystander who was, you know, patting people on the back and wasn't in there, you know, with the sort of day to day operations. And and who knows? Maybe that's completely wrong, but that that is sort of the. that's sort of the narrative I think that, that Patriots uh, fans kind of bought into. It's it's know. Darth Belichick who's <laughs> right. uh, you know who's sort <laughs> right. of authorizing all this, and uh, you know maybe the former quarterback talking about uh, you know PSI on, on his footballs and, and whatever else um, <laughs> oh, with a couple God. equipment guys it's down amazing. there in Foxborough. It's, it's amazing what time does though, right? I mean, you figure oh they they caught him cheating, yeah. so things are going to be so different now. The Patriots won't be very good anymore because they're going to be able to stop doing all of these things that made them good, and then they just keep going and playing in Super Bowls. Just right? keep going. So. Um, but <laughs> so. but it is generally, I, I think it's a shame that you know you didn't have someone like the Red Sox or the Yankees or the Dodgers come out and maybe take the lead yeah. with the commissioner's office, You know, make, make a strong principled stand, try to bring people together on it. You know, for, for whatever reason, you know, baseball, I, I think historically, has not really had the same kind of star owner or star ownership group, maybe that you know, like there's no Jerry Jones of baseball. Well, he's passed away. It was George Steinbrenner. Okay, that's obviously. true. But but it's been a long time yes. since then. Yes. You know, so and today, you know, who is it? Who do you point to as as sort of that marquee baseball owner? There really isn't. I mean, you know, they're very anonymous. They are. They're absolutely anonymous, and and they're you know like the Fenway Sports Group. They're into other things. It's not just you know when George Steinbrenner ran the Yankees. I mean, he might have been into other things. Nobody knew about. It. He was just the Yankees guy. I mean, I know his his, his money came from shipbuilding or something like that. He yes. came from Cle- Cleveland and all. Yes. But as far as we knew. He was the head of the Yankees, and that's it. The right? boss. The, he was the boss, right? The boss. And now, you know, all these owners are, uh, and it's not a knock against them, but they've diversified into so many other things. It's not just running a baseball team. It's it's owning, uh, you know, NASCAR teams and and uh, soccer and, and teams. soccer teams and right? uh, you know anything else. Your real estate ventures around your ballpark, right? So um, um, you know, you caught the tail end of, of Charlie Finley. In the seventies yeah, with yeah. the A's, yeah. Well, I didn't personally catch it, but yeah. But yeah. I, mean, I mean, I was alive when it happened. Yeah, you know, one of the most flamboyant figures in the history of the game. Sure, sure. Um, you know, certainly a regrettable tenure in the eighties and in the nineties. You had Marge Shot owning the Reds. Yeah, uh, everyone knew who she was. Right. Um, you know, but you're right. And well, even in Boston, we had you know, even with the passing of Tom Yawkey, you had his wife, his widow, who ha- who had a stake in that team for a long time. So everyone kind of. Knew knew the name Gene Yawkey and and uh, there was that presence there. Right, but it was sort of that nebulous Yawkey trust. Right. Like who who is running this? Right. Who is in charge of this? Right. Uh, John Harrington was sort of the the figurehead of it, but right. he was sort of a you know a bean counter type. You you didn't he he wasn't necessarily he, he wasn't quite Steven Tyler in terms of uh, no, you know no, and he wasn't personal George, presence and he wasn't George Steinbrenner for for sure. No. Yeah. No. Um, you know, so sort of very nondescript ownership in MLB. Uh, and I also think, you know, baseball is a very insular culture. Um, you know, it, it's very much keep your head down, don't say anything, you know, just do your job every day. Yep. Um, you know, that's why we have all these you know, crackdowns on bat flips and, you know, unwritten rules and whatever else. It's, you know, play the game the right way, kid. Don't do that. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're going to tamp down on the fun. Um, you know, I, I think that also goes to, uh, 
you know, enforcing rules and whatever else. You're not going to have a manager speak out against someone corking bats or using pine tar on the ball because he knows yeah. the guys in his clubhouse are he's doing turning, it. Right, he's looking over his shoulder thinking, you know, is one of my guys going to get popped for this? You know, absolutely. Right. Uh, so, uh, Bill, let's let's maybe turn our attention to uh, what happened on the, what's been happening on the field here at Fenway. Uh, over the last uh, you know last week or so in this homestand, so uh, the first three games against the Blue Jays, uh, the Red Sox. Um uh, well, let's say the, the pitching didn't really look that good. And uh, they they won the first one, I think, on Friday. And then they... they uh, it walked right? it off. They walked it off. And then yep. they and then they uh, lost by fairly good margins, particularly on Sunday. It was 18 to 4. Woof. Yeah. The best pitcher was Marwin Gonzalez, I think, that day. The only 1-2-3 inning. Yep. <laughs> yep. And then last night, uh, uh, Monday night, uh, exciting game, a tight game. Uh, they... Uh, they held a one nothing lead. Matt Barnes comes in in the ninth, and uh, Vlad touches him for the game tying home run, and then an exciting bottom of the ninth uh, where Devers plates the uh, plates the winning run. So uh, six and four over the last ten games. Uh, they split with the Blue Jays. They uh, they drop two of three to the uh, very good Houston Astros. Mm. Uh, but you know, still, if you look at the standings in the American League, Bill, the uh, the Red Sox are three games out of first place behind the Rays. And then there's this growing chasm where the Blue Jays are eight and a half games out, Yanks are nine games out. And, and you know, we talk about math a lot, and here we are uh, approaching July, and it's going to be harder and harder, I think, for for these teams like the Yankees and Blue Jays to kind of be making up this ground uh, if they're eight and a half, nine games out when July 1st rolls around. Yeah, uh, the Blue Jays struggle to pitch. Uh, I think we saw and that. And can hit a ton. It's amazing how good that lineup is. Uh, it's it's really, really good. Yeah. Uh, you know, they're second in the league in offense and OPS, only to Houston. Mm. Um, and you just, you could see it starting a couple of years ago. They're bringing through these young kids and, and you think, all right, these guys have serious talent. Let's see how far they can take it. All of a sudden, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. decides he's going to lose forty pounds and turn into a absolute monster. Yeah. I mean, right now he's a triple tra- he's a triple crown contender. Um, hit four home runs in as many games over the weekend. Uh, you know, caught up with a Matt Barnes hanging curveball with two outs in the ninth on Monday. Just lost it and man. lost it completely. Uh, you know, fortunately, Rafi Devers, his countryman, uh, had an answer yeah. in the bottom of the ninth. Yeah. Um, you know, Devers said after the game, we asked him, we said, uh, what do you think of what Vlad's doing right now? And he said, Vlad, he's nasty. <laughs> and he had a little grit on his face. Um, you know, but he said he was thrilled to, yeah. to see him playing so well. And, and he said, you know, Vladdy said the same thing to him. Vladdy's scary good. And he's 22, 23. Yeah, he's, he's a baby. Yeah. I, don't, I don't even know if he's shaving uh, at this point. <laughs> Um, you know, but he he is every bit as advertised. And, you know, Alex Cora said it after the game, and and I agree with him. Um, You know, it's wonderful to see a guy rewarded uh, for his hard work and Mm. losing 40, 45 pounds, even if you are 21, 22 years old. That takes a lot of commitment, dedication, you know, lifestyle change completely. Um, You know, and so for him to see professional rewards immediately like he has, I, I think it's a wonderful thing. I think it's a great thing for baseball because, He's a lot like Devers in that you can see he has fun playing the game. Absolutely. And yep. and if you're a kid or, or if you're a fan of, of any kind, you know, you see that kind of joy on the field married with that sort of talent. It, it's the best advertisement for baseball that MLB could hope to find. It's, it's wonderful to see. Um, he is a major problem. Teoscar Hernandez had a good weekend. 
Uh, you know, Lourdes Gurriel Jr. is a very good hitter. Marcus Semien, who was a one-year signee off the free agent market, is a very good hitter. Um, you know, was a good player in Oakland previously. Uh, and they don't even have George Springer yet. He's about right. to go out on a rehab That's assignment. Right. He's been out. Yeah. That lineup could get even scarier yeah. going forward into the second half. Uh, you know, you wonder about Toronto's pitching. That's always been the hole. Mm-hmm. The Red Sox got their closer twice, Rafael Dolis. They walked off on him on Friday on an Alex Verdugo double off the wall. Right. They walked off on him on Monday on a Devers single off the wall. Um, clearly a guy who can be gotten to. Um, you know, Boston's pitching staff pulled it together just enough uh, on Friday to get it done. They right. mixed and matched with the bullpen. And, and then on Monday, obviously, Evaldi was really good. Uh, Josh Taylor gave you an 18th straight scoreless appearance. Um, and then Matt Barnes, he gets touched for a solo home run. That's going to happen from time to time. Uh, didn't allow any more damage and, and kept the Red Sox in a spot where they could win it in the ninth. So. All in all, a minus seventeen run differential against the Blue Jays, <laughs> and yet two and two, and yet two and two, yeah. uh, and, and I'm sure that's you know all that they're going to reflect on the fact that they managed to split the series. Well, that's 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 all that really matters is who who won who won and who wins the game and who loses the games. Uh, so the Red Sox get a little bit of a break schedule wise here in that. Uh, they uh, they head down to the Braves for a couple, and then over to Kansas City to face the Royals for uh, three. I want to say so two teams that I believe are both under 500. So uh, you know, uh, hopefully they can go at least 500 on this on this road trip before they visit the first place Tampa Bay Rays next week. So Bill, we I ask you this question every week, and I'm going to ask you again, uh, and and. Now we're coming off of uh, a, a stretch where they played uh, perhaps their their uh, most difficult stretch in terms of back-to-back games with good teams. How good are these Red Sox? Uh, they're six and four in their last ten games. They're still you know right there near the top of the standings in the East. Um, pitching has not been as good as we've seen it, but uh, anything that you have seen over the last week against the Astros and Jays that might have changed your opinion on how good or not good these te- this team is? I still think they're pretty good uh, because they can pretty consistently score runs. The lineup is still good. Uh, the key parts are healthy and producing, yep. which is important. Some of the ancillary pieces have, have come around to help them a little bit in, in key spots. Yep. Um, the pitching staff has certainly hit a rut here and could use Thursday's day off, Monday's day off. Yeah. Uh, they could use a fresh arm or two. Unfortunately, their top prospects in the minor leagues are all on the injured list, whether that's Tanner Houck, Connor Siebold, uh, obviously Thaddeus Ward, and, and Brian Matta have both had Tommy John surgery. You will not see them this year. Mm-hmm. You might not see them next year. Um, Tanner Houck is into his throwing program. Connor Siebold's a little bit behind him. Those were the guys who they were hoping maybe if you could get a reset day for the rotation, an extra day of rest, right. a sixth day, you know, maybe you build in a seventh day with an off day here or there, you could refresh those guys a little bit. They haven't had the chance to do that uh, because Hauk has dealt with flexor soreness mm-hmm. and Seabold hasn't pitched in a game yet due to right elbow inflammation. He's in Fort Myers going right. through his program. Um, you know, so I certainly think that, that the Red Sox could benefit from a fresh arm or two. I, I wouldn't mind seeing a proactive early move well ahead of the trade deadline, uh, you know, maybe to give them a little extra depth. Uh, you know, and if that means trading a position player – you know, maybe trading a starter 
you know, for somebody with a little longer term, mm-hmm. uh, somebody who is, you know, a little better and an improvement on somebody who they have, uh, I wouldn't rule that out. Right. Um, you know, I, I, I would like to see them be proactive because I feel like they're in a position where they can contend for a place in October. Um, I don't expect the Rays to continue like this. You say that a lot about the Rays, and yet they defy they defy expectations because you're right. You look at that team on paper and you think, well, they're, they're just not built for the long run. But here they are again, right? June 15th, first place. I'm going to say that, uh, <laughs> you know, based on Monday, Tyler Glass now leaving his start early yeah. Yeah. with right elbow inflammation, uh, saying afterwards on Zoom that he felt a little tug in his right elbow. Never want to hear that from a starting pitcher. Right? Uh, that is clearly their best guy. And, and he goes, uh, you know, potentially, he hasn't been placed formally on the injured list yet, but if he is, he goes on an IL for the Rays, who, who has the following currently. Mm. Oliver Drake, Chris Archer, Nick Anderson, their closer, hasn't pitched in the game this year. Chaz Rowe, Brendan McKay, Cody Reed, Yanni Chirinos would be a starter. Colin Poche would be their best left-hander out of the bullpen. Jalen Beeks, all on the injured list for the Rays. This just can't continue. It's really amazing. It's a testament that, that their record is what it is with the, the, that group of players that you just read not playing. It's, it's all well and good, but at some point you hit critical mass. It, it's just you're not going to be able to continue this, mm-hmm. um, and certainly not at the pace that they're at, pushing 20 games over 500. Um, you know, it's it's just it's just not sustainable. Uh, you know, and eventually, as we've seen with the Rays, whether it's in the postseason, last year in the World Series, whatever it may be, when it comes down to time to put the money on the table, the superstars win out. Yeah, you can play the matchups and you can do this and that and whatever else. You need superior individual performance to win big games in October, big series in October. That's what you need. It, it, this this sort of philosophy of, you know, we can just sort of use cookie cutter guys and put round pegs into round holes and they'll just fit the roster and the equation and, and we'll just go forward that gets exposed over time mm-hmm. you're not going to be able to match up with the Dodgers someone who spends that much money on superstars and develops high high level prospects you know has half a billion dollars worth of talent in their roster and think we're going to be able to beat them with our right. payroll it just doesn't happen yeah, for sure and so the Red Sox, if they are proactive, if they decide that they're going to make a couple strategic moves and upgrade this roster, and they decide that they actually really want to spend <laughs> and show their financial muscles that they have being the Red Sox, I certainly think not only could they compete with the Rays, but they could put themselves in a position with the Blue Jays struggling on the mound and the Yankees struggling in general well, I'm glad you just mentioned to contend that. for the division. Right, because that, that certainly has helped the Red Sox, and that's not to take away from, from their play. But, you know, the, the Blue Jays pitching particularly, but the Blue Jays and the Yankees, certainly the Yankees being beat up, has helped the Red Sox because, you know, you, looked at, you look at those teams and you think, well, you know, th- these are going to be your main competitors, and they've just kind of been withering lately right and now we've reached the weekly portion of the podcast where, no no where bill not, Corey gets to rip the yankees i'm not ripping the yankees i'm i feel bad for the yankees i'm not ripping the yankees 
know. <laughs> Next week when they're 12 games out, then I'll rip them. Because uh, that's a safe distance. <laughs> he, he somewhat said he doesn't feel bad for the Yankees with a straight face. I can't believe it. <laughs> right. You know, the Yankees, they're, they're like that pit bull on the, on the chain. Eventually, they're going to break the chain and get you. You know, standing. <laughs> I'm sorry if I insulted pit bull owners. All all pit bulls are not mean and nasty. So anyway, you you are a far better actor than I ever gave you credit for. That was outstanding. But the, the the point is that the the Red Sox are certainly taking advantage of of this of the situation this year. And you know we're getting to July 1st, and and that's sort of where rubber hits the road here in baseball season. You know, uh, you make a decision as to whether you're a buyer or a seller. You make a decision as to whether you're serious about contending this year and I don't know it would just seem to go against this whole new Red Sox philosophy if all of a sudden they say all right let's go break the bank and go spend money and get get the best uh, guy we can get for the for the stretch run when you know we all know that Hyam Bloom's mandate has been to pare down um, payroll to, to, to the extent he can and build the farm system which he has been doing uh, you know, but what happens when all of a sudden, you know, July fifteenth rolls around and you're one or two games out of the uh, of the the top spot in the division, and you can look around and say maybe we can go get this guy or this guy or. Well, you know? I, I've I've written this recently. Um, you know, the the courses of action that Bloom could take. I don't necessarily need him to go get Max Scherzer. Right, which he's probably not going to do anyway. Right. You know, I, I don't I don't necessarily need him to trade Jaron Duran or Gilbert or uh, Gilberto Jimenez or Jeter Downs or somebody like that, mm-hmm. and have this huge blockbuster out there. Um, but I need a little bit of a statement of intent. I, I need you know improvement on the fringes. I need right. Show us where you're going here a little bit, right? You know, if if for some reason you can acquire a better version of Martin Perez to put in the rotation, or a better yeah. version of Garrett Richards to put in the rotation, and and it requires. Trading Richards plus a prospect, and you get the better version of Garrett Richards, mm-hmm. who's now, you know, he's not a number four starter. He's a number two, three starter. Mm. Okay, good. You've improved your team. Um, you know, can I get a better version of Marwin Gonzalez for my, you know, utility spot? Someone who can play six or seven different positions, but who has a 750 OPS instead of a 600 OPS. Right. Can I make minor improvements that, that make my team better? I mm. don't need them to go out and you know like the year in 04 when you trade Nomar Garcia Parra and you think oh my goodness you know what's the Epstein doing this is a serious serious move yeah turns out he wins the world series by doing it um you know but i don't need that sort of bringing in the number one starter on the market the number one position player on the market i do think that there are places in the margins where the red sox can improve this roster and I think if Hyam Bloom is as creative and as resourceful as the Red Sox believe he is, uh, and as he's proven to be in building this 2020 roster and sort of giving us this surprise contender, mm-hmm. this team who's a little better than, than we expected, I certainly think that, that he could conceptualize a couple moves going into the deadline or maybe well before that could better position the Red Sox to make a run at an AL East title. I, I don't think that's too much to ask. No, and, and it's well, it certainly isn't. And and uh, you know the other thing that's sort of on the horizon here is Chris Sale, who uh, threw from the mound uh, for the first time uh, last week. Um, so you know maybe he maybe he is somebody that uh, that helps out in the stretch run again. Uh, and, and you pointed this out. Uh, what Alex Cora said after Chris Sale threw from the mound was uh, was uh, important in that you know you need to kind of tamp down expectations here because he threw from the mound he looked pretty good 
you know, it, so the expectation is, oh, we're going to have Chris Sale as our number one in two weeks or three weeks, right? And and we're probably more like two months from, from away from having him pitch in uh, for the Red Sox. You could tell he was excited. You could tell that he really liked what he saw. He had a little glimmer in his yeah. eye. Um, you know, it wasn't necessarily Chris Sale of 2019, but it was certainly. Chris Sale better than what they've seen right. for 15 months. And, and, you know, again, it's it's throwing from a mound and not in a, and not in a live game, but it's certainly still something that people who, who can uh, assess these kinds of things were excited to see. You know, he's, he's on the mound of Fenway Park. They, they put him in that spot for some pitch collection data. They wanted him on the track man and whatever else. Right. They, they wanted to see where his stuff was at. Um, you know, but you you get there early on that Tuesday afternoon, and it's about two thirty, and and he's out there before batting <clears throat> practice starts, uh, and he's got about a dozen teammates behind him, and Hyam Bloom's out there, and Eddie Romero's out there, and and Brad per- uh, Brad Pearson, their top medical person, is out there watching. Cora is out there. Dave Bush, the pitching coach, is out there. Jason Varitek is out there. Uh, you get the sense that it is an occasion. Yeah. Um, you know, and that the next step for Sale is to face live hitters. I would not be surprised if, if he does that at some point on this road trip. Um, you know, with some not, sort not of, in a game you're talking. You're just nope. talking about uh, working between games. Some sort of live BP, yep. uh, you know, four or five hours before a game, whether it's in Atlanta or, or in Kansas City. Um, you know, something that's that's sort of out of the way of, of the prying eyes of the hometown media. And, right. and maybe, you know, when they thin the herd and go on the road, uh, <clears throat> you know, you're in Kansas City, somewhere that's not a major market, yeah. not necessarily, uh, you know, somewhere that's like they're not going to put them on the mound for live BP in Yankee Stadium, let's say. <laughs> right. um, you know, it is a little different. You're, you're going to... Uh, Atlanta, Kansas City, and, and Tampa Bay. There aren't as many people who are going to be around and say, "Ooh, Chris Sale's out there." You know, this is interesting. It's not Philadelphia, New York, Chicago, uh, whatever it may be. But I, I certainly think that he's making progress. I had said August first for his return. It looks like I'm going to be a little short on that. It, it's probably going to be later, especially if they build him up to be a starter. Mm. Um, that requires a, a certain amount of work, rehab assignments. You want to get his pitch count to at least 80, 85, so that he can. You know, compete properly uh, if you put them out there to start a game. Right. Um, you know, but I definitely think that they were encouraged by what they saw. Uh, he's feeling good about where he's at. He feels like he's making major progress, uh, that he's coming to the end of this thing. And, and really, he should be um, because he's 15 months out now yep. from Tommy John surgery. The typical window is 12 to 15 months. He's had a couple significant setbacks. Uh, whether it's with some neck stiffness or COVID-19 that have forced him to shut down. Um, you know, so he should be, should be, air quotes, <laughs> further along in this than, than what he is. Mm-hmm. And, and I can imagine that he's itchy to get back out there. And I think throwing off that mound at Fenway, the last time he pitched there was in August 2019, I think that sort of gets the juices flowing a little differently. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, you know, uh, you're probably right. He, he probably won't be with the team by August 1st, but he might be pitching in Worcester by then. Who knows, right? Sure. We're, we're still we're still a month and a half from that uh, from that date. Um, so it'll be interesting to see, you know, what the team looks like by then, where they are by then, and and uh, you know if they've if they're really on the uh, precipice of of uh, of a deep run, you know, do uh, do you make it more of a point to get Chris Sale back? Whereas if you know by then, they, and I don't see this happening, but if they're six games out or seven games out, maybe you ease up and say, hey, there's there's 
there's less cons- you know there's less of an urgency to get get you back. That's right. So uh, you know we'll see uh, we'll see where the Red Sox stand. But so far where they stand is has been surprisingly good. Uh, again, three games out, I believe, in the uh, in the American League East as as we record this on June fifteenth. Um, so, uh, Bill, let, let's talk a little bit about some individual performances. And um, so this week we got our first glimpse of All Star uh, All Star voting for the season, and uh, kind of a mild surprise. I can't say that it's that it's a surprise or a shocker, but uh, you know, Raphael Devers and Xander Bogarts were leading. Uh, vote getters in their uh, in their respective categories at third and short, and particularly for Bogarts, who I think has always kind of been under the radar. It's good to see that that people around the the uh, the league and not just or fans around the league, not just in Boston, are starting to recognize that he is uh, among the best shortstops in baseball. He's well into his prime now. Uh, you know, somebody who the Red Sox have pushed is is maybe the face of the team currently. Um, yeah, I certainly think he's he's the de facto captain. Uh, yep. He doesn't have the title, but he certainly functions in that way in that clubhouse. Um, he's had an excellent start to the year, uh, according to Fangraphs. Uh, his wins above replacement. He's at three point one right now, which is really good. You know, he's on pace for a seven seven and a half eight season, which would be fantastic. Right. Um, you know, and a lot of that is is from what he does offensively. He's been really, really good at the plate. Um, you know, the top offensive shortstop in the American League to this point. Yeah, hitting three twenty. He's got an OPS of nine thirty two. He's got twelve bombs. He's driven in thirty nine runs. Uh, and by the way, playing a pretty good shortstop too. He's fine there. Yeah. You know what you're going to hear a lot at the end of 2022 when he ultimately opts out of his contract, and we both expect him to do that, <laughs> is that he wasn't that good at short anyway. Is that he wasn't that good at short, <laughs> right. and that six or seven years from now he's going to be a third baseman, and you're going to be paying him to play shortstop, yeah. and this is a bad investment defensively, and right. what happens when he's 35 and his body breaks down? That's 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 <clears throat> going to be the discussion, mm-hmm. and somehow ownership, like they did with Mookie Betts, is going to hypnotize a portion of this fan base into thinking, "Well, Xander Bogarts, you know, why does he want all this money? Why do we need to, you know, pay him that much? He's not going to play shortstop four years from now. You know, right. what are we, what are we trying to do? You know, and that's going to be the discussion, mm-hmm. and it's going to turn into that, and you're going to say, "Wait a minute." The organization that's hyping him as the best shortstop in baseball, all of a sudden, they're going to start leaking out through John Henry in the front Doesn't office. Doesn't the Red Sox. No. <laughs> you know, we made him this huge offer, and he didn't want to stay here, and we didn't want him to opt out, but he didn't want to stay. He right. wanted to go on the market, and we can't afford to pay him because his production's going to decline. And what, Like, it's it's just going to be Mookie Betts all over again, the, the arguments that people make, and they'll get dug in on both sides. For now, yeah. <laughs> let's appreciate the fact right. that he's we'll, a really we'll good player. We'll save that for the podcast in two seasons. Right? Uh, right. That he's Next a really season. good player, a cornerstone yeah. player, the, the type of player that, as a Red Sox fan, you should be proud that he's the best player on the Boston Red Sox, um, you know, because he's the type of guy who you want to be the face of your franchise. Absolutely. Uh, you know, and the fact that he's leading AL shortstops in voting, I think is just and deserved, and I think he should start that game uh, in Colorado in July. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, tip of the cap, obviously, to Rafael Devers, who's having a very good season, uh, leading vote getter for third baseman, and uh, J.D. Martinez, second overall vote getter for DH behind Shohei Otani. Uh, oh yeah, so I, I've heard he's you heard, good. You heard that guy is pretty good, right? Yeah. The question is, does he pitch during the All Star game? And my guess is that Joe Madden won't won't let that happen. Uh, it's a good guess. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but um, 
Yeah, so so a, a kind of a nice uh, a nice showing for the Red Sox as All Star balloting uh, gets underway here. Um, I think you know also a couple of other guys, at least uh, you know worth mentioning, Alex Verdugo, who's who's having a, a nice season for them. Uh, so infectious to watch him play, it always seems to be up there at a critical time, uh, and you know. I know that he's no Mookie Betts, and people are always going to say, well, you know, um, they, uh, right, you, and others, and many others, you know, that they, they let they let go of a cornerstone franchise player, which they did, and, you know, I'm with you that they, I am against that, uh, I was against that move, but, you know, Verdugo has, has shown himself to be a pretty good player here, and he's certainly not Mookie Betts, but he's not just a, another guy that, that they threw in, you know. Verdugo didn't make the trade. Right. He wasn't the guy who made the trade. I don't blame him for one second. I, I don't put any of this on him. Uh, and he's done exactly what they hoped he would do since he got here. He's performed. Yeah. Uh, whether or not the Red Sox get anything approaching full value from that trade depends on Jeter Downs and Connor Wong. Yeah. It, it does not depend solely on Alex Verdugo. Mm-hmm. Downs has to get up here and produce. He has to be the everyday starting second baseman. He has to be a top half player in the American League at yep. that position. Uh, Wong has to get here and at least be a backup catcher, um, if not a guy who can start 80-90 games to spell Christian Vasquez or maybe even replace him. Right. Uh, if neither of those two guys gets to Boston and makes an impact in the big leagues, then the trade is a, a massive failure. Uh, you've already lost it because you traded the best player, and by definition, uh, any trade that you make where you give up the best player, you have lost. Um, yeah, and that best player went on to help another team win the World Series. Exactly. So, yeah. In year one. Yeah. Didn't take very long. And they're in position to win two and maybe three and maybe four and who knows how long. Um, you know, that guy, for what he could have meant here, being an MVP, being a generational homegrown talent, uh, being a face of the franchise in a city that has struggled with diversity for, for generations. You know, to have a black player be the face of the Red Sox going forward, I think would have been massive societally hmm. in Boston. Um, you know, and something that the Red Sox certainly you know, would have thought about going forward, uh, you know, and that's beyond what he's giving you on the field, which is spectacular. Sure. Um, you know, but Verdugo, I, I don't blame the trade on Verdugo. I, I don't uh, no, you had visit to do any with of it. that on Verdugo. <laughs> right. Um, he was just the guy that said, you're going to Boston. And right? he's yeah. been very good here. Uh, he is a good player. Um, you know, is he a Hall of Famer, a future MVP, someone who is so clearly elite at, you know, multiple skill sets? No, he's not. Is he a piece of a team that could be very good and currently is pretty good? Yeah, he's doing that right now. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, so I certainly think that seeing him seventh among American League uh, outfielders in the All Star voting, I, I think that's probably in his range. I, I think at times he's been uh, an elite player, and at other times he's scuffled a little bit yeah. this year. Um, you know, he's dealt with a little bit of back problems, and and that has sort of trundled down into his legs a little bit. Um, you know, but he's a good player. He's a guy who they have under club control for a little while. Uh, somebody who can be a part of this when they are ultimately ready to play into October again. Yep. Um, and you mentioned his infectiousness, his his sort of outward uh, demonstrative personality. Mm. 
I think that's a good thing for a team to have. And I, and I think that that fits well with someone like Devers who plays the game with such obvious joy. Um, you know, someone like Christian Arroyo who is a spark plug type player who's starting to get more time at second base, who's yeah. hit a couple big home runs, you know, in recent weeks. Um, you know, you marry Verdugo's personality with those guys and I think it's good. It offsets someone like J.D. Martinez who's a little bit more understated. Um, you know, their pitching staff who, who's sort of very cool and, you know, not necessarily guys who are like Pedro Martinez who are going to strike people out and stare them down and right. pump the fist. And, right. you know, it's not necessarily like that. So Verdugo brings a, a good element to their team in that way. Well, there's no question about uh, the fact that the, the makeup of this team uh, is much more likable than the makeup of the team uh, from last year anyway. Uh, and maybe, it doesn't take and, much. And maybe, and maybe from a couple of years, too. Um, it, certainly exciting, young uh, infectious players like Verdugo, like Christian Arroyo, as of late, um, and and then you know, uh, and obviously Rafael Devers, and then you've got you know sort of more veteran players who uh, are fun to watch, like uh, JD and like Xander Bogarts. Um, so my question then, Bill, is where are all the people? <laughs> because as I watch Red Sox games on TV, uh, it it is odd to me that there are as many empty seats as there are now that the restrictions have lifted, now that Fenway can truly host its capacity. Yeah. And I understand it may take a little while to ramp up because uh, initially they, they, didn't, they weren't selling season tickets for uh, those early games because they, they really didn't know what the protocols would be. But we're kind of past that now. So is it just a matter, you think, of uh, just a normal, it's early summer, you know, wait till it warms up kind of thing? It just strikes me that this team, because it's A, successful so far, and B, likable, that they would see, we would see more capacity crowds than we have seen. I, I think, uh, you know, much like the pitching discussion that we let off the podcast with, I think it's a multi-layered answer. To, to be fair. Mm. Um, the first, obviously, is we're still just kind of emerging from the pandemic here. We, it feels like the finish line is, is close. Sure. Um, you know, but for some of us, we're, we're still dealing with the realities of it. Uh, and, and I think, um, you know, whether you haven't been vaccinated yet uh, or you're not necessarily comfortable with going out yet, mm. I, I think there's going to be a different adjustment period for people as we go. I know you and I would feel okay with going to a bar right now and watching a soccer match in the European Championships and, and not really have any reservations about that. But I don't take it for granted that everyone's going to feel that way. And, and I fully understand that. Right. Um, I also look at, at uh, the Red Sox as, as an enterprise, and I think they had a very difficult season last year. They traded a cornerstone player. Mm. Um, a lot of their behavior over the last two seasons, organizationally in that way, has turned some fans off. I, I certainly think that that, that has hurt them. Mm-hmm. Um, you look at the economic realities of the pandemic, the fact that a lot of people are struggling. They've lost jobs. Uh, they're on more uncertain financial footing. Uh, a night out at Fenway Park costs a lot of money. Sure. Oh, it's not. A, it's certainly not a cheap night for sure. And and so if you're going to have some excess income in some way, mm-hmm. um, you know, maybe if you're just back to work or you're just back full time and you had furloughs or whatever else, you might have some household finances that you need to sort out before you can go out to a baseball game. Yeah, absolutely. And those are all valid points, and I'm sure that plays into it. You know, I, I guess what I'm coming from uh, from it uh, uh, coming to it from is that. You know, you've got uh, this population that has essentially been, uh, you know, restricted and 
didn't have many options when it came to entertainment over the past year. Sure. There were no concerts. There were no games you could go to. Now, all of a sudden, well, not all of a sudden, but you know, now we are uh, at a point in society where most of the uh, m- uh, most of us are vaccinated. Uh, the restrictions have died down, and these venues are now opening up. It would seem to me like there would be this pent up demand for let's get out there and get go to the games and go to the concerts. And I understand there is plenty of there are plenty of people who financially are struggling, uh, but there's also a lot of people that um, you know they didn't really take a hit financially from the pandemic, uh, who still have disposable income, uh, and there's lots of people. Uh, in the greater Boston area, there's you know it's a very populated area, so mm-hmm. it's hard for me to kind of jive. What like where are all these? Where are all the fans for the Red Sox? And I, I don't know. Maybe it's as you said, it's a multi-layered answer. Maybe it's too early to know, but it just surprises me now that we're into it for a few weeks that I'm still seeing this many, uh, especially you know against. The Astros and the Jays, who were, you know, offensively good teams. But I think you made a very good point uh, before we uh, started recording, and that is the true test will come in a couple of weeks. Yeah, your litmus test, in in my mind, uh, is the weekend series against the Yankees. I think it starts on June 25th. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's the last weekend of June. Uh, all the kids will be out of school by then. You're not going to have to worry about it. Right, a, that, that's that's also another factor, too. You still have kids in school. You know, you're not going to have to worry about a, a late Friday night or a late Sunday night. Yeah. You know, we got to get the kids home because we got to get them up early on, on Monday morning and they have school and whatever else. Right. Um, you know, you're, you, you would think that people would be in full summer mode by then. Um, you know, they'd be looking to get out. Uh, you know, going to the ballpark every night, is, it is a bit of a habit. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're in the habit of just watching games on TV and you know not necessarily getting down to Fenway, um, you know that might have changed your behavior mm-hmm. over time over the last year, year and a half. Um, you know maybe with summer coming and with more people emerging and maybe more of your neighbors going to the games, you might sort of start to break that habit and get into some new ones. Right. And, and by new ones, I mean some old ones. Uh, right. You know, that you had Rekindling the old but, habits and right. extinguishing the re- more recent habits of not going anywhere. Right. right? So, <laughs> I, so I think, um, you know, the Yankees coming in would be a good litmus test. Yeah. It, it would give you a good idea just, you know, where Red Sox fans are at. Um, that's always been the traditional draw. I right. can't remember the last time a, a Yankees game didn't sell out at Fenway. No, I, I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, I think I think they will do well when the Yankees come because the Yankees always draw well. And I think that the fans will, will certainly be there for that. I, I think I'm just interested in seeing how they do uh, without the, you know, against other teams. Because typically when the Red Sox are having a really good year, as they are this year, the, those stands are filled just about every game, right? You know, and uh, I remember, um, and this was—I'm not sure that this statistic holds true—but I remember back in in the heyday of the Red Sox, I guess in the in the mid 2000s, after the 2004 okay. championship, and those years right after that, when they were, you know, the talk of the town and the pink hats and the whole thing. Yeah, right. Uh, there was some study that said there is there are 100. Uh, potential customers for every seat in Fenway Park. Wow, was that what it was? It, that well, if you believe this study, there were 100 potential customers for every seat, which led you to believe that the Red Sox at the time could almost charge what they wanted to charge because somebody out there would be willing to pay it for that seat. Now, I don't think for a whole bunch of reasons that still holds true, but uh, right. you know, Fenway is not a huge park. 
right? 37,000 seats or whatever the capacity is, is not very big compared to a lot of other ballparks. And you are in a, uh, in a uh, uh, popul- very you know, populous area with uh, uh, a very strong historic interest in baseball. So uh, it's, you know, we'll see. We'll see if that interest comes back to, to, the, to the level we saw a few years ago. I don't know that it's 100, uh, you know, customers for every seat anymore. But uh, it, again, it's just something that, that kind of jumped out at me when I'm watching some of these games, thinking, where are all the people? Wow, that is a huge number, 100 yeah, I, to 1. 100, 100 to 1, yeah. yeah. So, so you essentially could have had a college football crowd for, for every, every game. game. In the, now, it sounds ridiculous, but if you think about those years, yeah. the Red Sox were just crazy popular. Yes. Right? I mean, the Patriots certainly sort of got the... the, the uh, the, the century, I guess, off to, on the right foot when they won the championship. There. But the Red Sox had obviously been waiting for, the Red Sox fans had been waiting so long, and then they won it in 2004. And it was just like, I mean, I, you remember this, Bill. I mean, people were thinking about, you know, oh, my, I wish my, my, my dead father was around to see this. And, oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, it yeah. was just, it was, it was off the charts. And that kind of lasted for a few years. And they won it again in 2007. And there was a, a, all this kind of Red Sox kind of fever, the whole pink hat uh, uh, notion where, you know, it became an event. Matt, the, more than the just. The sellout streak? What yeah. was the sellout streak? Six, seven hundred games? It was whatever like, it was? Yeah, six something, I think. But, but yeah, it was, it was an event. It was, it was beyond baseball. It was just, it, you know, you had to go to a Red Sox game because that's, that's where it was. That's where it was happening. I don't know if we're ever going to see that again. Well, but what did they have at the time? Well, they had a few good players. They right? had Pedro and Manny and David Ortiz. It was super duper stars. Sure, uh, absolutely, yeah, and, you know, and transcendent and, guys. And they had won a World Series, and they were competing for another one. Oh seven, they did. They they got it again, and yeah, absolutely. And you had you know that that early crew with the idiots and and uh, yeah. Then you Johnny bring Pedroia through and Ellsbury, right, and it's right. like you've got fan favorite after fan favorite. Right. Um, you know, I I certainly remember the days before. The tickets were like that. Um, you know, I started college at BU in fall 97. The team wasn't very good. Mm. Uh, the ballpark was half empty on most nights. Um, you know, that was, uh, you know, before they traded for Pedro. They, yeah. they did the next year. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... I think they just got Manny, right? Manny was there. Manny came in in 2000. Oh, was it that late? Oh, I, okay, okay. I thought Manny... No, I thought Manny was there before Pedro. But anyway... So they, you get to the point where Pedro starts would sell out, mm. but nobody else's. Right. Because, <laughs> because who wanted to go see Tim Wakefield and Frank Castillo and John Wasden? Right. Um, you know, but you make the ALCS in 1999 and you play the Yankees. And at that point, it sort of turns into this, hey, the Red Sox are back. Right. You know, they're a little warm. They signed Manny in 2001, you know, to a okay, big 01, deal, an okay. eight-year deal. Yeah. Um, you, know, you hit the lottery on David Ortiz. You've got Pedro Martinez, the best pitcher in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, you've cobbled together enough around him to sort of make yourselves a contender. Uh, and then you you just you turn it up way past level 10 right. when you play the ALCS in 2003 against the Yankees. Right. And you had no Marstall in those, year, or those early years. That's right. right. You had yeah. Garcia Parra. Yeah. Um, you know, so you had, you just sort of saw it evolve. You know, it certainly did over over my four years in the city. Um, you know, they turned into sort of this. Eh, yeah, let's go to the game tonight. Why not? Yeah, you know, and you could walk up and get grandstand tickets for twenty bucks, and you know there'd be nineteen thousand people there on an April whatever night. Yeah. and you know, 
all of a sudden it it, it uh, you know morphs into this. As Seth Manukin wrote in his great book, Feeding the Monster, mm. it, it turns into this monster that you feel like you just need more. Right. You know, whether it's more good players, more winning, uh, more pressure on Theo Epstein, um, you know, more championships, you know, more whatever. Um, you know, that sort of fed through the rest of the 2000s. And you, know, you win in 04 and you win in 07 and you sort of have this little bit of a downturn. You win again in 13 and it's it just it keeps going and going and right. going. Right. Uh, but baseball being what it is, attendance wise, football you're always going to draw because it's once a week. It's an event. There's only eight games. Yeah. Um, you know, you could sort of go with eight friends and you have a tailgate. Right. Oh, yeah. It's a whole it's different a day long thing. thing. Yeah. yeah. You know, baseball's 81 home games. You know, if you have season tickets even, how many of those are you going to go to? Right. And there's no tailgating at Fenway Park. No tailgating. <laughs> uh, although we're, we're happy to see, you know, most of the bars and restaurants around the park open yep. and, and operating, um, you know, and welcoming patrons back. We, we need those folks to get back on their feet and, and going. Um, you know, but you, you certainly look at baseball and, and you think that it is a marathon. It is an extended six, seven month, eight month commitment. Yep by a fan and and you know, it takes a lot even in a big market like Fenway a passionate market like Boston um, you know it takes a lot right and, and so I think it might take a little longer for for people to get back uh, to the back bay than, than maybe we might have expected right right well like, like I said I mean <clears throat> it's still kind of early it's and we'll be watching what happens here over the next few weeks as the Red Sox uh, continue hopefully to be still in contention uh, and uh, Bill, I think that wraps up our uh, our latest edition of the Twin Bills, uh, as the Red Sox uh, are off on a uh, on a bit of a road trip here. So we will see where they are uh, next week, and get ready and talk about some uh, some things down the road, like the Yankees coming to town. Mm. That's always fun. Bill, thanks again. We'll do it again in a week. Thanks, Bill.